Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. Alongside Chris Dorch, I'm Kevin Ingram. Get into some of the uh, big stories of the week in college hoops as we uh, move through January and the, the first full month of conference play. Chris, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Uh, I'm trying to keep up with all the uh, upsets. I'm glad I'm not a betting man other than a, a Coke on the golf course because uh, one can lose one's shirt uh and with such activity that's going on 11 ranked teams uh lost on saturday alone and 13 for the weekend i think i saw where that was a record uh well no wait it's tied an ap poll record that dated 12 years uh so man can you imagine that happened once before it's crazy but uh yeah, I was actually at one of them, Kentucky beat Tennessee. And, you know, I don't really consider that like a huge upset. Kentucky's still Kentucky, and I don't care what people say about John Calipari. He's, you know, he didn't get dumb overnight. You know, they're, they're still pretty good, and they've still got Oscar Sheebway. And just uh, in case he had to prove that he was still a player of the year candidate, he goes for 37 and 24 the other night. That's a good month for some, some people. <laughs> yeah, that is a good month for a lot of people. Uh, yeah, you you were at one of the upsets, I guess, quote unquote, and then uh, I called one of them as Vanderbilt uh, beat Arkansas. We'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, I I, I got to ask you, man. Sixty three points in the second half is that true? Or am I just reading? No, scores? that is absolutely true. It was like a uh, a barrage of points for Vanderbilt, which had. You know, it really in the five conference games they played, they really have played pretty well. They just haven't always shot very well, which is sort of the name of the game. Yeah. But uh, going back to say a week and a half ago at Tennessee, they went one for fourteen in the second half from three after leading at halftime. Missouri had some great looks down the stretch of that game and had a great chance to win. But it all came together in the second half against Arkansas. Uh, Vanderbilt. Uh, right before halftime, they had a little dust up, and Vanderbilt lost its points guard, Ezra Magnon, who was uh, uh, ejected from the game with two technicals. And Vanderbilt uh, saw Arkansas go to the free throw line for seven foul shots, and wow. uh, and Arkansas scored seven points on that trip. They went five of seven from the foul stripe, and uh, and and Anthony Black finished off a three point play uh, before any of the the free throws for the technicals. There were three technicals total on Vanderbilt: the two on Magnon and the one on Jerry Stackhouse. But then in the second half, Vanderbilt just came out and blew their doors off. They just played great, hit everything they threw up there. It felt like uh, made six threes and went twenty one out of twenty three from the foul line and shot over sixty percent. It was. Just uh, one of those halves where everything uh, went their way and ended up winning by 13. That was uh, the best win of the season so far for Vanderbilt. And uh, we can talk about whether you, you feel like Arkansas might be in a little uh, tr- yeah. trouble here. Uh, they coughed up a 10-point lead and lost to Missouri on Wednesday, 79-76. And there was a controversial call in that game. But, you know, the Razorbacks are now 1-5 and five in the SEC. They lost four in a row. And uh, they really miss Nick Smith Jr., the very talented freshman, and Trevin Brazil, who is the uh, transfer from Missouri. He's out for the season. Uh, sounds like there might be a chance that uh, Smith could return. But, you know, the way they play, they they just don't shoot from the outside unless one of their best shooters has a wide-open look for three. You know, somebody like Ricky Council or Anthony Black. 
and they just play very physical and it's almost like to just try to ugly up the game as much as they can and uh, use their length and athleticism to uh, to serve them well but uh, it's it's a tough start for Arkansas and they've had uh, tough starts in the SEC each of the last two years and they've turned yeah. it around and gotten to the Elite Eight uh, both seasons so I know uh, folks in, in Fayetteville are hoping maybe some uh, sort of similar turnaround is coming but they've dug themselves a pretty big hole at one and five in the SEC yeah I would have to say that that is one of the most surprising uh, developments in college basketball especially after the start they got out to I think they were ranked as high as sixth if I'm not mistaken and you're right uh, SEC network showed a graphic last night each of the last two years they started out like one and three maybe even oh and four in the league and then turned it around and eventually got to the elite eight and i'm not saying this team can't do it but uh trevin brazil i I mean to me he was just starting to come into his own uh, with a new team having transferred from mizzou and nick smith i mean he was blue ribbons national newcomer of the year and i mean i talked to all kinds of people about him and paul being cardi uh you know whose opinion i really uh, uh, trust he said yeah i think he's going to get the reps uh needed enough playing time and, and uh, they're going to put the ball in his hands and, and he's super talented so that was my guy and i hope i didn't blue ribbon didn't put the hoodoo on him man. <laughs> uh, another of the top players uh, among freshmen and really among everybody is brandon miller uh, a young man yeah. who's from from Antioch, just down the road here, uh, outside Nashville, played at Cambridge High School, and uh, he was a five star recruit. Alabama got him. His, his father was a football player there in the early nineties. Yeah, but uh, I saw him in person on Tuesday night as Alabama came in here to play, and man, he was unbelievable. Uh, scored, I think, thirty one points and had ten rebounds, and uh, he just looked the part. He he's one of those guys who, even at a young age, just knows how to play the game. Uh, if he saw a driving lane, he'd drive and score. If he had an open look for three, he would take the shot. If he needed to make a pass, he'd go ahead and do it. He didn't try to force anything. I just thought he was really, really impressive. Alabama <clears> – <throat> Alabama is certainly uh, for real. They're 6-0 and in the SEC. They're ranked number four in the country. They're 16-2 and overall. They have a handful of quad one wins already. But uh, they also had a, a tragic situation happen last weekend. Uh, a young woman was shot and killed in, in Tuscaloosa overnight Saturday, early Sunday morning. And Darius Miles, who uh, part of, was part of the Alabama basketball team, was uh, arrested and charged with murder in that shooting death. And... Uh, they played in Nashville on Tuesday, and it was pretty clear the the emotions were very high about that whole situation. Uh, I saw Nate Oates, and I uh, saw him on the post game interview he did with the SEC Network. He looked like he was just exhausted, and I, I know Jerry Stackhouse spent a little time with, with Coach Oates after the game, and, and really wished him well. And um, and and Stack was saying after the game that like the, the the game just didn't feel like it meant a whole lot given the situation that Alabama was dealing with, and. Uh, at the end of the game, Alabama, they, they had it uh, put away after Vanderbilt had cut a lead down to six. But Noah Gurley went up at the end of the game. And in, in a situation where you probably normally just run out the clock, he went up and, and reverse slammed it uh, to kind of put the icing on the cake. And I, I think that was kind of a release for those Alabama guys. And, and there was a lot of emotion that yeah. horn sounded, um, you know, guys – just just feeling the, the weight of everything that had been on them for the last couple of days. But um, – all that, obviously, the just tragic situation. But as far as Alabama on the court, they look as good as 
any team I've seen, certainly the best team I've seen in person this year. And uh, I, I got to think this might be the year where they break through and, and finally make it to the Final Four after having a lot of good teams and a lot of excellent players over the years. But that's been the one thing missing for Alabama basketball. Yeah, I, I think they've got two or three of the best wins in the country. I mean, they went to, to Houston and won. They had that uh, epic overtime, quadruple overtime win over North Carolina. That's been devalued a little bit, I guess. But they beat Kentucky pretty handily. They have a, a road win at Arkansas, road win at Vandy, which, as you said, is you know, played pretty tough. So uh, – yeah, I just really like them. I, I think the, the the transfer Mark Sears from Ohio has done uh, as good a job as, as just about anybody that's transferred uh, this uh, over the last uh, off season. <clears throat> He's shooting it at forty percent from three on one hundred and two attempts, and you know playing like a point guard should. And really, they they've come this far, and they haven't even used Dom Welch, who transferred from St. Bonaventure. You know, he's a career like 38 percent three shooter on a ton of attempts because you know mark schmidt at at st bonaventure doesn't hardly take his starting five out and you know for so for dom welch to have that kind of a career a three-point percentage with the number of minutes he's played that tells me something about him and his cardio toughness and you know just his ability as a shooter so he had a i think it was a, a a lower uh uh, maybe a foot injury, and he's started to come back. He's played six games, but only 9.8 yeah. minutes a game. So if they get him back and he starts shooting it anywhere close to like he's capable compared with the other guys they got. And, um, you know, Namari Burnett has been out. They get him back. Wow. Uh, they, this is a team that could go all the way. Yeah, and it's so interesting how they play. Everything's either at close range or it's a three-pointer, and and sometimes they'll pass up a good look inside to kick it back out and have a chance to shoot a three. But yeah, I just thought they looked like they had they have a lot of pieces and and have you know, maybe the player of the year in the SEC and potentially a national player of the year candidate in Brandon Miller. So uh, they're good. Saw them on Tuesday night in, here in Nashville. Vanderbilt uh, made it interesting at the end. Alabama was ahead by twenty-three in the second half and. Vanderbilt made some shots and uh, got back in it a little bit, cut it down to six in the last minute, but uh, Alabama pulled away at the end. Uh, you mentioned you saw Kentucky at Tennessee last week, and last week we were talking a little about whether the Wildcats were on the ropes and uh, everybody's on Calipari's case. Well, since then, they, they picked up a big win at Tennessee. They beat Georgia at home the other night, so maybe, uh, Chris, signs of life in Lexington? Yeah, I, I tell you what, uh, I don't, you know, sometimes it's it's good to – start from scratch every year and and sometimes it just isn't and i think cal's found that out uh even if you've got transfers i think uh, even if you've got experienced older dudes and i think cal had to kind of figure out who he needed to play and and when he needed to play them and i think clearly antonio reeves the illinois state transfer and cj frederick who had transferred from iowa had to sit out last year and this year he's you know he had broke his finger on his shooting hand but with those two guys in the lineup, he's got two veteran guys that know how to put the ball in the hole. And they both played really well against Tennessee. In the first half, it was C.J. Frederick. I think he had three or four threes in the first half. And in the second half, Antonio Reeves, he, he was just smooth, man. That cat can score any which way you want. He was eight of eight from the free throw line. 
Kentucky had been shooting that well from the free throw line, but they shot it really well against Tennessee. And uh, so they, they looked just fine. And then they came back and, and in a game uh, at home against Georgia, they trail, but they were able to win that one. Oscar Sheboy, like I said, you know, he monthed out for most people. <laughs> uh, 37 and 24 is freaking ridiculous. Uh, and Casey Wallace, uh, our, our buddy Seth Davis said, you know, he kind of opined that maybe they're better off without Xavier Wheeler, who missed the Tennessee game. I don't, I'm not sure if he played against Georgia or not. But, I, you know, Wheeler's actually – I looked up his numbers. He, he, he did play against Georgia. He had a minus nine plus minus rating in that game. Uh, but, uh, you know, as a, uh, for the season, he's not that bad. 8.9 points, 6.1 assists, uh, shooting at 38% from three. And his assist to turnover ratio, this is the most amazing thing. This is the guy who, as a sophomore at Georgia, averaged four turnovers. His assist to turnover ratio is 2.8 to one. That's ridiculous, really. Uh, so I don't see that he's killed him that much. The, the things that you could point to, one, he shoots 53% from the free throw line. Not a good stat for your point guard yeah. who's got the ball in his hands late in the game. And the other thing, he's, he's just a, t- a tiny dude. I mean, he's, he's tough. He's a tough dude, but he's 5'8", and, you know, you, you can take him to the rack, post him, and I think he's a bit of a defensive liability in, in that regard. So I think for Cal – uh, people were mad at him. People are going to be mad at him. But if you look at it, with, with two exceptions, the year they they lost the big kid and went to the NIT and lost, that was an aberration, I think. And then two years ago, I mean, that was that COVID year. Everything went crazy for everybody that year. So you throw those two out, and generally, uh, come March, February and March, Kentucky plays better. So we'll see. I mean – I don't blame fans for getting a little riled up, especially if you're a Kentucky fan. I mean, they expect to be good, and they usually are. What about maybe some coaches that uh, uh, should be worried or, you know, I don't know, the hot seat or whatever you want to call it? There are, as we are about halfway through the season here, a few that it's uh, got to feel a little bit shaky. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, uh, uh, I'll tell you, uh, the, the crazy one has happened already. Mike Bray is – has said he's going to step down in, at Notre Dame after the season. And that, that just happened, let's see, um, that was released uh, three hours ago. And we're taping this uh, Thursday evening, and uh, it was about 5 p.m. on Eastern time when he decided, uh, when they released it and said he has decided to leave. So, uh, you know, he's had some great years at Notre Dame, but the last few years they've, they've just had trouble kind of getting over the hump. And, there's a couple of others that I worry about, both good people, I think both good coaches. Uh, you know, Mark Fox and, and Cal, he's probably on his last legs. And some people think Kermit Davis at Ole Miss is, is already gone. Uh, it's a shame the first year he was there, they got in the NCAAs. And I think people are beginning to see how great a job Andy Kennedy did down there. Yeah, You know, he uh, – they went to the postseason more often than not. Granted, it was mostly the NIT, but he won 20 games. He was there a dozen years. I think he won 20 or more games, like 10 times. So I thought Kermit Davis was the perfect fit, and, and he still may be. Uh, they've got a great recruiting class coming in. So 
I think maybe that'll factor in. Uh, he's a Mississippi guy. His family still lives there. His parents are still alive and live near there. So it seems like such a great fit, and he's a really good coach. I, I just don't understand quite what's gone on down there. But, yeah, there's a couple of coaches that are sweating it out, maybe Jared Haas at, at, at Stanford and and uh, Patrick Ewing. I, I mean, I cannot, I cannot honestly see where Patrick Ewing makes it another year. Um, a lot of people thought maybe they should have pulled the trigger last year, but heck, he is Georgetown basketball yeah. and won a national championship. I'll never forget that game in Seattle. Uh, John Thompson Jr. told him uh, he wanted him to block everything, even if it was an obvious goaltend, just go up there and bat it out of the sky. And with with the, the thinking that it would be intimidating, and it was, so – He's Mr. Georgetown. You, you know, you hate to see a situation where he couldn't get it done as a coach, but, you know, he never was a head coach. He, he was in the NBA as an assistant, and it, it's tough to come right in at a power conference school and be a head coach. I mean, I, there, I've seen cases at, at, at smaller levels. Sanford's coach was coach at a Birmingham high school, and he's a really good coach there. They're doing very well. They won 20 last year, and they're tough this year. But generally speaking, if you don't have head coaching experience and you get thrown in that kind of meat grinder, it's tough. And even for a legend like Patrick Ewing. And that's always kind of the risk, and really in any sport, when a person who has been a legendary player for a program or a franchise comes back to be the leader of that franchise. Uh, yeah. If it goes well, then it's wonderful. But if it doesn't go well, then you get into sort of an ugly situation with a, a beloved person uh, that no matter how they do as a coach, they're still going to be thought of as, as that legendary person. But you're, you're going to have some hard feelings if if it doesn't go well and you end up uh, you know making a move. So you know, we'll see what happens there with Georgetown and Patrick Ewing, who, as you said, you know, for maybe younger listeners, they don't remember what he was in college. Man, he was yeah. unbelievable. He was back, back a beast. In, he was back in the uh, early eighties. Elijah one. I mean, that's no, yeah, when giants you know, right. the earth. Yeah, they played in that championship game in Seattle back in nineteen eighty four, and then of course Georgetown lost to Villanova the following season in Lexington, uh, and that that unbelievable upset uh, that perfect night. game. Yeah, the perfect game situation. Right. Yep. As long as we're uh, talking about coaches, want to wish all the best to the uh, the coach of my alma mater, Western Kentucky, Rick Stansberry. He's been away from the team with an illness for a few weeks. He recorded a message last week saying he did hope to return soon. So uh, hopefully Coach Stansberry will be feeling better and uh, be able to return to the bench soon for uh, the Hilltoppers. Yeah, I've known Stans for a long time. And, you know, he's really kind of underrated. I think people have always regarded him as as a recruiter or however he does his business. I'm, I don't know. Uh, but he, at the time, he was the 10th, when he left Mississippi State, he was the 10th winning as coach in SEC history. So he'd been there long enough to get it done. And uh, I don't know. I think people expected a lot more at, at, at uh, Western Kentucky, and they haven't quite delivered. I think he's yeah. – it hasn't been necessarily a, a situation of talent. I think that they're talented right now. But, uh, yeah, uh, that's a tough league, though. Conference USA, it's a, it's a 14-team, one-bid league. And, you know, I don't care who you are. You get in pressure situations, especially in the conference tournament, but even in the regular season, and uh, it's difficult. So, yeah, I don't know what's wrong with Rick. I, I, I hope he's okay, and 
and he's he's a hoot to talk with he's funny and he says whatever's on his mind and he's got his own vernacular too <laughs> uh, instead of freshman he says freshman's and he has that raspy voice where he just, it always sounds oh, like yeah, he's he just does. you know struggling to talk it sounds like he's been you know yelling at the team for for hours on end yeah, but uh, he does he, I, I, it's funny i um it took everything I could not to text Rick Barnes. Uh, he lost his voice after the uh, Kentucky game. And I actually saw him, but I didn't have the heart to, to go up and talk to him because his voice was shot. And he sounded just like Rick Stansbury. <laughs> Rick Stansbury has permanent laryngitis, yeah. or, or that's what it sounds like. But he's, and, uh, he's one of those guys, yeah. though, Rick Stansbury, that it's like if you meet him one time, he remembers you every time yeah. after that oh, yeah. I, I, i've picked yeah. up on that because i've met him you know once or twice here and there and he always seems like he remembers me and i you know maybe he connects me with western or, or whatever but uh yeah definitely wish him the best uh we mentioned all the upsets last week and there are a few more midweek uh, kansas state uh, both these teams are ranked kansas state beat number yeah. two kansas in overtime 83 82 a couple more ranked teams iowa state over texas 78 67 Wake beat number 19, Clemson, 87-77. Wednesday saw Seton Hall rally and knock off UConn. West Virginia beat TCU. That was a really good win for the Mountaineers. And DePaul upset number 8, Xavier, 73-72. So, yeah, we've, we've seen a bunch of ranked teams uh, take some L's this week. But that's what you get when you, you get into conference play. People know each other a little bit better. And uh, we'll have some more uh, really good matchups coming up this weekend. I was kind of looking up and down the – the schedule with uh, the teams that have numbers next to their names. Uh, Miami plays at Duke. That should be a good one. Uh, TCU will be at Kansas. UCLA against Arizona. Virginia plays at Wake. I saw some of Virginia's game against Virginia Tech the other night. Uh, Iowa State plays at Oklahoma State, which uh, beat Oklahoma in a good game. I saw that one last evening. Uh, Marquette plays at Seton Hall. Uh, they they recorded a big win. So, you know, when you get into the, these conference games and league play, it's it's always fun. And you see some good matchups. Alabama be at Missouri. Baylor plays at Oklahoma. So, you know, be uh, keeping an eye on a lot of those matchups. One interesting team, and I think we mentioned them last week, was uh, Florida Atlantic. They came to Western Kentucky and won uh, the other night. But they're ranked this week. Uh, they play at UTEP on Saturday. There's such an interesting place uh, down in Boca Raton where – you know the, the weather is fantastic all the time uh, they're known for having lane kiffin as their football coach for a little while and howard schnellenberger but you know basketball they never really had a lot of success i was thinking you know when they were in the atlantic sun back in the day uh i remember when uh, when matt doherty was the uh, the head coach there at fau uh that's the first time i ever really saw much about them or you know called games uh, involving them and there was one year when the uh, conference tournament was at east tennessee state it was in johnson city and uh, FAU had come up there to play, and they got upset in about, on about the first day of the tournament. And I don't think they had booked their flight home for a couple more days, so they were just like cooling their heels there in Johnson City for, <laughs> for a long time, waiting for it to get time to uh, get on that plane and go back home. Uh, I hadn't thought about that in years, but uh, they're having a really, really nice season. I watched that Western Kentucky game, and the word that I that that kept coming to my head when watching FSU play coach well coached by Dusty May was tight you know they were tight defensively uh they they ran hard cuts and crisp passing their jump shooters all shot with textbook form they're just tight you know Uh and uh uh, there was an article somewhere I forgot where I saw it today but uh the, the headline wondered whether College of Charleston and FAU, two teams we've talked about here on the podcast, could make some noise uh, into March. And 
I'll tell you what, that, that FAU team I saw, I haven't seen, I've only seen College of Charleston once, but FAU, like I said, they're just crisp and, and tight and quick and, and they play with purpose. So, man, that's a good team. All right, the most brutal loss in the wildest finish of the week had to be in a game that involved a team where I work at Vanderbilt, and that was Vanderbilt's women's team. They played at Arkansas on Monday night. They lost 84-81. Marnell Gerard for Vanderbilt went on this three-point barrage. She hit four three-pointers in the last minute 15. I think she made three of them in about the last 21 wow. seconds, including a banked-in three to tie the game with four seconds. It looked like it's going to overtime. Arkansas put the ball in play. They ran down court. They didn't have any timeouts. Michaela Daniels pulls up and just fires up a 35-footer at the buzzer that banked in, and, and Arkansas won. And that, <laughs> I'm thinking, man... For, for Shea Ralph, who was a, a legendary player at UConn, was assistant with Gino for a lot of years, uh, she is just having a, a, a tough season here. They're down to eight players. They've had some injuries and another departure from the program just in the last couple of weeks. But you thought, okay, maybe they're going to get to overtime and, and, and get a first conference win, and then that happened. So uh, uh, hopefully things will get better for Coach Ralph and her program. That was that was hard to watch. Uh, I don't know how you go do the press conference or the post game after uh, something like that happens. I was uh, looking at, at a couple of birthdays today, and uh, one is Pete Weber, who's the legendary voice of the Nashville Predators, not the bowler Pete Weber, but he uh, right. he has had some really serious health conditions of his own, and uh, he had some surgery um, just last week and is doing much better. He's been able to get back to calling, calling some games, so uh, happy to see that. And also, uh, I have this on my notes as East Tennessee's second most famous person after Chris Dorch, Dolly Parton. Today is today is her birthday, and uh, it's, it's been fun to see her get a lot of recognition in the last couple of years. Not just for for her career, but you know for her work and uh, donations re- related to the COVID vaccines with Moderna and um, yeah, and, and gave it gave a million dollars yeah. to Vanderbilt for Moderna research. I've I've got her money flowing through my veins. <laughs> yeah, same here. But I, I, I did the Moderna. But she's just a, uh, she's just a, she's an unbelievable force of nature. Uh, of course, you and I both live in Tennessee, and and I'm sure Reed, your son, got the Dolly Parton books until he was five years old. The whole collection, yep, every one of them. My kids did. My grandkids have, and you know she doesn't bankroll all that, but it was a donation from her that started it, and she's got some corporate partners. Every kid from birth through kindergarten gets a free book a month. So Dolly's done that, and then when the fire uh, burned up half of Gatlinburg, uh, Dolly donated a bunch of money so people wouldn't be out of homes. And she's just she's a smart businesswoman and, and uh, gutsy, and and she's also she doesn't forget where she came from, and she's generous, just super kind and generous. So uh, yeah, happy birthday to Miss Dolly. She has the best quote ever. It takes a lot of money to look this cheap. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. I, I had that same quote in my brain. I was I was going to say that, too. And we uh, think a lot. Yeah, I know. She is kind of scary, actually. But, yeah, she's it she's also she's really, really talented, too, as a, as a singer and songwriter. You're a great singer. And, you know, she, she's funny and has been in movies. The, and, day, the, yep. the, the Oxford American puts out this uh, – it's a literary magazine that used to be printed on – Ole Miss campus, but but uh, they do a music uh, mag uh, ep- episode uh, edition. I'll get the right word uh, every year, and this year they did a, a piece on trio, which was Dolly Parton and Emmylou Harris and my 
heartthrob of Linda Ronstadt. And wow, uh, you talk about three voices uh, merging together as one. It's unbelievable. But yeah, happy birthday, Miss Dolly. All right, we close out, and uh, this news just came down a couple hours ago, is the uh, death of David Crosby. Uh, yeah. He was in his early 80s, and I think he'd probably been in poor health recently. But, gosh, you, and, and I, I didn't, even, didn't even remember all the uh, different groups and, and music that he was involved with going back to the 60s, or whether it was with the Birds or Crosby, Stills, and Nash, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. Uh I mean, you talk about prolific in terms of writing and recording music and playing all those groups for all those years. Uh, man, he, that was uh, he just uh, a legendary figure in music in the 60s and 70s, especially. He really was. I think he was considered by some to be kind of a pain in the butt. And he would speak his mind. And, and honestly, in the last few years, uh, Crosby, Stills and Nash and Young were estranged because he said something about Daryl Hannah, who's who's uh, dating uh, Neil Young. And I don't know, it made everybody else in the, in, in the group mad. And they really weren't talking, but uh, I think they came to terms with it eventually. But yeah, I, I was lucky enough to see Crosby, Stills and Nash uh, here in Chattanooga. And I'll never forget after the show, they'd done their encore and they were, you know, ready to get out of there. But uh, Cross kind of lingered on the stage and he, he was just kind of drinking in the adulation and the surroundings. And you could just almost read his mind saying, man, I'm so lucky to still be here because, you know, he was heavily into drugs and he was yeah. in prison. And I, I think he had a liver transplant. He had diabetes and a bunch of stuff. And, and uh, I'll tell you what, he outkicked his coverage, man, 81 years old uh, for as tough as he treated his body there for many, many years. But He's a talented dude, a great harmony singer, songwriter. He had a great album that a lot of people don't know about, if I could only remember my name. Uh, it was a solo album. Uh, I forget exactly the year it came out, but it was in the Crosby, Stills, and Nash and Young era. Excellent if you've never heard it. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I think it's really good. And I hate I to see him go. Uh, well, all these legends that go, you know, you, we just can't get them back. Jeff Beck... Uh, I've listened to a bunch of stuff on him just today. Uh, so, yeah, hated to see old Cross go. Well, Chris, for this uh, episode of the Blue Ribbon Podcast, uh, I guess we're golden and billion-year-old carbon, and, and we'll say so long for now and talk to you next week, man. That sounds good, buddy. He's Chris Dortch. I'm Kevin Ingram. We'll talk to you next time on the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast.